Have you ever seen an event or in a situation take place and, and you look at it and, and maybe your response or reaction to it is, I think we need more, and then you can fill in the blank. For example, when, when you look at conditions, things going on in our world, we might say, I think there needs to be more whatever it is. Or when you look at your favorite football team. And you might say, like I do, I think the Dallas Cowboys just need to do this. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's easy for us when we, we see situations to become critical or to analyze and, and, and say, well, here's what the solution is. Here's what needs to be done. And so to speak, we become the uh, armchair quarterbacks, right? We can be pretty quick to criticize and to blame and to come up with solutions, but sometimes we're not so quick to step up to put those solutions to work. And that might be true when it comes to our our world or our community. It's true sometimes even in our homes and, yes, even here at church. And and sometimes we, we are slow to get involved because, you know, we just look at our own life and say, I'm just so stretched right now, I am so busy, or, you know, I wouldn't know what to do in that situation, though I think this is what they should do. And now comes along the preacher who says, well, we need some help here at church. And remember, serve the Lord with gladness. And your response probably is, yeah, get real, preacher. And I say, okay, let's get real. Let's look at some real people in the Bible and see how their lives were real lives like ours. And under the blessing of God, we see what our real God can do. Today we're going to look at Nehemiah from the Old Testament. And the message he has, the encouragement he has for us is, serve the Lord with gladness. And you're thinking, what is that? Simply smile while you serve? Oh no. Listen to what he got the people in Jerusalem to do with gladness. As he reports it, Nehemiah told them, Do not grieve, don't complain, don't blame, don't criticize, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And did that work? Here's what he reports. And on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Well, what was going on? Just wait until you hear what they were faced with and what, under God's blessing, they were able to do with great joy. Let me fill in the gaps here. Let me give you the background as to what's going on. Last week in my message, I talked about the prophet Habakkuk from the Old Testament and how he feared and and doubted what was going on because the nation of Babylon was coming and going to take over their land. Well, a hundred years before that, as you see from the map on the top left, the Assyrian nation had come in and had conquered the area. And they carried off the northern part of Israel, and it was 
gone forever. Well, in Habakkuk's time, the Babylonian Empire came in and took over the rest of Israel, and they carried off the Jews, the people of Judah, into captivity way in Babylon, and they were there for 70 years. Now, after that, the Persians took over the area, and they decided to let the Jews return back to Jerusalem. Some of them did. Some of them stayed where they were. And when they went back, one of the first things they wanted to do was to rebuild their temple to worship God. Now, it took them 20 years to do that. They had some starts and some stops. There were some challenges they faced. Sometimes they just lost the will and the commitment to do it. You know how that goes. But finally, they got it done. And now we hear what's going on in Jerusalem through Nehemiah. Nehemiah isn't in Jerusalem right now. He's still back in the capital city of the Persian Empire, Susa. He's got a nice, comfy government job serving wine to the king. Here's where the story starts. And here's what he gets a picture of. Jerusalem is a mess. Here's the report. In late autumn in the month of Kislev in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, Rain, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. And the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, if you were Nehemiah, thousands of miles away, in a nice, cushy government job, how would you respond? Oh, that's terrible. You know, if, if they would just get their act together and do this or that, I'm sure it would all be just fine, but nobody seems to be stepping up to the plate to do it. Or... Maybe you'd say, well, that's really sad, but you know, what, am, what can I do? I'm thousands of miles away, so I, I hope it gets better for them. Well, that's not what Nehemiah said or did. Listen to what he did. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord, God of heaven... The great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. With those words, Nehemiah is showing us the first step to take in having gladness in serving the Lord. Step one is simply to get ready, and he did it by preparing his heart, starting with his heart. He prayed. Prepare yourself with prayer. Now, we might wonder, why would, why would he do that? Why didn't he just sit down and make a plan? Why didn't he consult some of the other people around him? And as we're going to see from the book of Nehemiah, he was a smart guy. 
well-organized, a good administrator, can motivate and lead the people. Why did he need to pray? Because, first of all, he recognized he needed God's guidance. He was thousands of miles away. He didn't really know exactly what the situation was. But he knew what he could start out doing, and that was to pray. Now, as much as we hear about Nehemiah's administrative skills throughout his book, there's one thing that stands out repeatedly in this book. He was a man of prayer. Eight times it tells us he stopped what he was doing, even in the middle of a conversation, and he prayed because he knew he needed God's guidance. You see, our inability becomes God's opportunity to show us what he can do. Of course, there was another reason, and that is he understood God could do great things, more than we could ever ask for. The Apostle Paul said, now God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask for or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. So Nehemiah knew his best source was to go to that great and awesome God for guidance and for blessings. Now, as I said, Nehemiah was a pretty smart guy and probably had a little bit of an in with the king, as we're going to see. So he probably could have worked all of those things, called in some favors, perhaps, and and that would have been fine. But think this through a little bit. He's a foreigner. He's in service to the king. And what does he do? He's going to ask for some help. See, he didn't know exactly what he could do. It's not like he could just jump in his chariot, go to Home Depot, pick up some building supplies, hire a few day workers, and off to Jerusalem to build a wall. But he knew he needed God's blessings. And so, likewise, when we're faced with various needs, when we see the needs of of people and, and see what's going on, don't let the lack of supplies or distance or whatever it might be, stop you from getting involved. Get personally involved first by starting with your heart and using prayer. Now, let's take a look a little more at at that prayer. It had a specific purpose behind it. He started out by saying, Lord God, you are a great and awesome God. Now, why did he do that? Why did he start out that way? Was he trying to butter God up, you know, grease his palm, and then, yeah, then he'll listen to me, then he'll give me what I want. Not at all, because God doesn't operate by grease. He operates by grace. And so the reason he was praying this way was to honor God, because what he was saying was true. God is great and awesome. And that would actually help Nehemiah. Not because God would say, hey, thanks for the compliment. Now, what is it you want? It would help Nehemiah because it was true, and that would give him confidence in his praying and in his working. Just remember who God is when you pray, and let that give you confidence. But his request goes on like this. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. But the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king 
favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. He was praying because he wanted to help God's people. He confessed his own and the people's sinful condition. He said, we are a rebellious people. We don't deserve anything from you, but I'm appealing to your mercy and your faithful love to forgive us and to help us. He wanted to help his fellow people. Even though he had a cushy job, he was okay. He saw the need that was set before him and he wanted to respond. It all started with prayer. How often do you go to God for your needs? How often do you go to God for the needs of other people? Maybe even people you don't really know. Maybe people you have never even met. You know, sometimes it's easy for us to just ignore those things. Or sometimes it's easy for us to say, yeah, I'll pray, and then feel that that's, that's, that's enough, I don't need to do any more. But prayer is good, it's the first step. Just don't let distance or separation or a lack of knowledge dampen concern for people. And let that start with just by looking at your own heart. You know, your heart is like that of the people in the scriptures being rebellious and sinful too. And yet God has cleansed our heart and redeemed us through Jesus. That's how much he cared. He didn't just write us off. He cared enough that he sent his own son into this world who left a throne of glory to come into this miserable world to live in order to serve us. By, by living under all of God's laws, to, to give us a, a perfect obedience that we can call our own through faith. And then he sets aside that crown to lay down his life on a cross, suffering the wrath of God for our sins so that we would not suffer that wrath. But he would pick up that crown again, that crown of life and glory in his resurrection, and he would ascend back to that throne in heaven where, guess what? He is still serving us. That's right. Our God who is exalted above everything is still living to serve us, ruling over everything for our good. And he still bends his ear to hear our prayers. So when you see a need, don't complain, don't blame don't play armchair quarterback. Prepare your heart with prayer and get ready to respond. Get ready and then get set. Like a runner who's going to run a race, they have to get into that position to be ready to go. And that's exactly what Nehemiah would do now. The story continues. Or early the following spring, this is four months later, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I replied, Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And later on he comments, 
I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. How do you get ready? With prayer. In what position do I need to be? In one that has matched my heart with the needs that God has set before me. As I said, four months had passed since he just found out about the conditions in Jerusalem, and now he was ready to take some action. I don't know exactly how it came about, he doesn't tell us, but in some way, God had touched his heart, God had moved him, and now he was ready to act. He didn't say, well, somebody else ought to take care of that. The point is, don't ignore what God may be showing you or telling you he wants you to do. And then be ready for this next part. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Now, that all seems pretty straightforward, but let's think about it for a minute, and we'll realize what he's doing. He's taking a step of faith here. Nehemiah is a Jew. He's a hired servant talking to the king of this great empire. And what does he do? Hey, could I get some time off? Could I get a leave of absence for a while? And he did. And he had to calculate, I just need a few months. Well, it turned into 12 years. <laughs> But more than that, look what he was asking, look what he was intending to do, to rebuild the walls around that city. And he didn't know all the circumstances. He hadn't been there. This was a step of faith. It started with prayer, and God led him to see what he wanted to do. Then he lays out the details to the king. Listen to what he says to him. And so I also said to the king, Now if it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. He's got his plan, travel plans all set. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I'll need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. Now go back a step. And before Nehemiah laid out these plans, he said a quick prayer, didn't he? He says, before he spoke, I quickly prayed and then I spoke. Isn't it wonderful how easy we can just go to the throne of God and ask for something? But we have to think things through. We have to time things before we can ask a human being. So the next time you have to ask somebody for something, start with a prayer to God and let him work on that person's heart. Now look how God had answered his prayer. He had the project all calculated out. He knew the time he would need, the materials, and the people. Use the talents, the resources that God has put around you. Have a plan to address the need, but always include prayer that God would bless that plan. He goes on, when I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them, and the king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. God will do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. 
So after he has set out the details, now he reports to us what happened. So I arrived in Jerusalem. Three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. And after dark, I went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and the burned gates. And then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So, though it was still dark, I went up the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. He wasn't afraid to step out and get involved, to scope out the work, to see what needed to be done. And he wasn't intimidated by the mess. He wasn't held back by the challenge. Although he saw what the problems were, he also saw the potential, because he knew that God could bless anything he had committed to him. That city could be taken back. It could be rebuilt. Bottom line, just look at the work that God has asked us to do. Approach it with prayer and with faith. Oftentimes you hear about the ministry needs here as as a community of believers, our, our church. Our leaders have discussed things and laid out plans after they have prayed and evaluated things. And then we ask you, the people, to respond. What do you do when you hear those requests? May I encourage you to be like Nehemiah and just simply ask, how would God have me serve? What does he want me to do? There's always a lot of things that are going on here at our church but it always has one purpose. It's to connect with people. So we connect those people to Christ, their Savior. My friends, that is the greatest need. So whatever we may ask for, it's always with this purpose in mind, to connect people to Christ. And so the next step then is to get involved. Let's see what happened. Now, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because, as yet, I had not said anything to the Jews or the priests or nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me, And what the king had said to me, they replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? And I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Get involved means get going with it. Now, there are obviously some challenges that face them here. First of all, the the wall is in ruins, but he had trouble with some of his own people, too. There were people who had said, you know, we tried this before and we just couldn't do it. Just don't bother 
And some who said, eh, leave it as it is, we're okay. And then there were other people who said, you can't possibly expect me to do that, can you? He was also experiencing challenges from the outside, as we named three of those guys. People who were trying to stop this work. And so it is that we may face some challenges ourselves. It's not always easy. But you know the saying, when the going get tough, the tough... Wrong. The tough go to God in prayer and ask for his blessing. Because with God, you succeed. And then you keep going. It's easy to become discouraged. There's a lot to do. Sometimes only a few hands to do it. Sometimes things don't work out according to plans. Just remember the words of Jesus, who said, no one is fit to work in his kingdom if they're pushing the plow, but keep looking back. And remember the words of the apostle Paul, who said, I leave all things behind, and I press forward to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Keep going and doing the work God has called you to do. And so here's what happened. Eliashib the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated. And as far as the Tower of Haneel, the men of Jericho built the adjoining section. And Zachar, the son of Imri, built next to them. And the list goes on and on and on for a couple of chapters. What was his point in recording all of those names and work? To simply show us how God's people can work alongside each other. The leaders lay out the plans, but they need workers. The workers are ready to do the work, but they need the plans. God has gifted everybody in different ways. Look how God has gifted you and will call you to use that gift. Together, we can work to carry on the ministry God has given us to do. Always with this point. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. You can't even get a work permit or, a, or, or some kind of a permit from the county around here in 52 days. And they got the whole wall done. When all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Simple point. Look at this illustration. What a huge challenge and task they had before him. But God's people rallied around the call, got together behind that cause, and they put up that wall, because with God you will succeed. Faith can move mountains. Our hands can rebuild walls. But best of all, when that happens, ministry happens. People know about our great and awesome God. There's always a lot to do. Do you hear God's calling? Jesus once said, Work while it is day, before the night comes, when no man can work. God has called us to action. Let the joy of the Lord fill your heart. Let his spirit move your hands, and ministry will happen. Just remember these simple words of Nehemiah. Now, strengthen my hands, Lord. Amen.